This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. After 66 books, thousands of years of narrative, God ends the sacred canon of Scripture with the cogent, unequivocal, surely I come quickly. Amen. So let it be, O Father, that in light of the words we have just heard through music and the reflection of that final statement of Scripture, may it be that today our hearts are energized through your word, that we birthed within us is a confidence and a boldness of the gospel. Let it be, O God, that you speak to us and we leave changed, having met with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to take a a bit of a guess, a leap, that the vast majority of us in this room this morning have not recently picked up a cigarette pack. If you have, God's strength to you, your journey. No judgment here, but I'm just going to guess you haven't. However, I'm also going to guess that the vast majority of us, even having not picked up a cigarette pack recently, know exactly what is stated in black and white on every cigarette pack and advertisement in this country. How does this start? Surgeon General Warning. Smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, and emphysema. It's an absolute. I don't know that it is possible to smoke in this country and not to know whether it is a good or bad idea. I don't know that it's possible. There's nobody. With all due respect to those who have struggled with this addiction, there's no one out on the corner going, this actually may be good for me. It's, it's known. It's, it's, it is an absolute fact. There is no uncertainty. There is absolute confidence. We know. In fact, we know that we know that we know it's not good. So grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Acts. But this time we're going all the way to the back. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28 is the final chapter of this sometimes referred to fifth gospel, the acts of the Holy Spirit. The church is mobilized. It's this divine appointment. The church, early Christians are sent out. 
Acts chapter 28 and the final verses. Verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. If you're reading in the NIV version, it will read that verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Boldness and without hindrance. Paul knew that he knew that he knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ was absolute, life-giving, saving. It wasn't a question for Paul. With all confidence, there wasn't a, 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 a line of doubt. There wasn't a single question in his mind. He knew. And so, without a doubt, without a doubt, here today we can reflect back and know that Satan, on the other hand, did not leave Paul alone. This wasn't as if Satan had said, well, Paul is just such an apostle, he's untouchable to me. Satan never gives up. He's going to fight this thing through the end. And so Paul must have been assailed, yet the Bible records that he delivered without a doubt, with absolute, with all confidence. So it wasn't that Satan had given up. It's that Paul knew that he knew that he knew. But it shouldn't surprise us. This is is the story of Acts. You want to look back to the beginning, Acts chapter 4. First few chapters introduce us to that Holy Spirit, but now Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. They, the leaders who had previously seen the disciples and their fear and their trepidation when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled. Ha. Beloved, I have no no problem with, with education or with training. We ought to be mobilized and trained to the best of our abilities. But I love the fact that God uses the unexpected, the underdog. So it was, though, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that's how this thing began. It began, Peter and John, and the boldness for Jesus. They knew that they knew that they knew He was resurrected and now at the right hand of the throne of God. Desire of Ages says that they knew they had a friend that now stood beside the throne of God and so they reached their hand higher and higher by faith to take hold of His. They knew that they knew that they knew. It started this way. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It births within our hearts a know that we know that we know. Let me take Paul as an example. Peter and John obviously would be good examples, but but Paul. Let's take Paul as an example. I've got four exhibits. Exhibit A. 
If you look in the back of your Bible, or many of our Bibles at least, you will find maps. Right? You go out of Revelation and out of the Concordance. You, go, you get to your maps. Several of your maps inevitably will be titled Paul's first or second or third or fourth. Paul's missionary journeys. You look, it's, it's just arrows. All, I mean, he is a frequent flyer on whatever, on whatever uh, ship line was available. He went around his little world. Either, either he was restless and he couldn't sit still, or he had something that the world needed to know. I think it's beautiful. I think it's something that we should be proud of, that, that the Adventist church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, is mobilized around our globe. It speaks to the fact that we have something to say. Amen. So does Paul's missionary journeys. Exhibit A. He went. He spent every cell in his body traveling the world. Exhibit B. They couldn't beat it out of him. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You, you read this, no doubt, but let's... Let's read it again, verse 24. 1 Corinthians won't exactly say the same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. From the Jews, this is his testimony. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. That was Paul's experience they couldn't beat it out of him. Exhibit A, he traveled the world with this message. Exhibit B, you couldn't beat. There weren't enough hardships for Paul to give up on this. He might have lost his job for Sabbath observance. Lost his friends for his radical devotion to the Christ. He was beaten physically. He lost his financial packages, but he would not give up. Paul knew that he knew that he knew the gospel was so important. Exhibit C. Back in Acts, now chapter 25 and verse 11. He's now an arrested man. He says to his, those committed to his keeping, for if I'm an offender or if I've committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. I appeal to Caesar. 
you only take it that far, you only take it to that high when you know that you know that you know. You take your case to the Supreme Court when you believe with all of your heart that you know that you know that you know that you have a right. You take it all the way up. Paul, as a Roman citizen, knew you don't show up before Caesar with a little bit of a game. You don't show up without your stuff together. You don't show up without knowing that you know that you know. You don't show up without confidence. Caesar wouldn't have time for it. But Paul says, I know that I know. Take me to Caesar. Exhibit C willing to go all the way up. Exhibit D, fourth and final. Paul, as he stated in Acts chapter 25, verse 11, I'm, I'm willing to die for this. You can't beat it out of me. You can't starve it out of me. You, you cannot even kill it out of me. Acts of the Apostles. Now, let me just reflect with you on what she, Ellen White, says about his death. Paul was taken in a private manner to a place of execution. Few spectators were allowed to be present, for his persecutors, alarmed at the extent of his influence, feared that converts might be won to Christianity by the scenes of his death. But Even the hardened soldiers who attended him listened to his words and with amazement saw him cheerful and even joyous in the the prospect of death. The apostles were looking into the great beyond, not with uncertainty or dread, but with joyous hope and longing expectation. As he, Paul, stands at the place of martyrdom, he sees not the sword of the executioner or the earth so so soon to receive his blood. He looks up through the calm blue heaven of that summer day to the throne of the eternal. Paul, as the sword draws near, is almost indifferent because of the ace up his sleeve, as it were, because of the hope because of the know that he knows that he knows Jesus is resurrected. And that means there is eternity just beyond. That's the narrative of Acts. Mosaic of men and women came together and then operated by the Holy Spirit became bold and confident that what they had was life-saving and they had to share it. There's no question. There is no question in their minds. But beloved... Where do you find yourself this morning? In the darkness of the night, as you kneel beside your bed, do you wonder? Could it be, could it be 
that we're just not sure. The world isn't sure, that's for sure. The world doesn't know what to do. Grab my Time magazine. Yes, I still get magazines and a newspaper through the mail and driveway. It lets you know what the world is doing, what your local events and news is. I grab Time magazine. I want you to listen to this GYC. The date on the magazine, October 22. What date was that? I'm sorry, what date was that? October 22. Of course, 2018 was the date of the magazine. It just came this last fall. It's an editorial about the catastrophe of of the climate. They're all concerned about where's our planet going? Is it going to just self-destruct? The subtitle on the editorial was Climate Catastrophe, Climate Catastrophe Seen Just 12 Years Away. So (laughs) these, these... these thinking minds have come together and said, there is a catastrophe coming to this planet and we believe it's in the next 12 years. What date was it published? October 22nd. Just not sure that everybody's gotten the significance of that Seventh-day Adventist. In the editorial, Mary Robinson, former UN Special Envoy on Climate Change, also the previous president of the country of Ireland, states, in an editorial on October 22, she states, we need a plan to save us. We have a short window of time and a huge responsibility. We need a plan. She's, of course, talking about climate. But on October 22nd, I think it means a whole lot more. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Emery just read it for us minutes ago. We have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power of God may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure. Beloved, on October 22, Time Magazine says we need a plan. We need somebody to stand up and tell us what we can do. The world is asking, what can we do? We have a short time left. And if there's anyone on this globe that has something to say on October 22, it's the seventh day Adventist church. We can tell them we're not going to throw out 12 years. We know our Bible's better now. We're not going to tell them it's 12 years. They're telling us it's 12 years. 
But what we do know that we know that we know is we have a plan that will in fact save the world. Climate change, we've got the ultimate answer. I, John, saw a new heavens and a new earth. We know that we know that we know. If there's anyone that should respond, it should be us. Paul, the same one, you couldn't, you couldn't travel it out of him, you couldn't beat it out of him, you couldn't starve it out of him. He appealed to Caesar, and you couldn't kill it out of him. Paul, that same Paul, speaks up in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Just a page away from Acts 28, those final verses. Romans 1 and verse 16. We've memorized this verse, beloved. For I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We have an answer, Mrs. Robinson. You UN special envoy on climate change, we've got an answer. We've got an answer for your heart. We've also got an answer for our climate. I am not ashamed. I know that I know that I know. And with confidence and boldness, Peter and John and Paul and the rest of those early radicals. Ah, the devil has hijacked this terminology, extremist, radicals. Whenever those are on the headlines of news, you know something bad has happened. Satan has hijacked the words to mean something negative, to be the pejorative, but no To be a radical, to be an extremist, is to be in line with the book of Acts. We know that we know. We've got something. Acts chapter 2. You remember what happened in Acts chapter 2? When they began to preach this message, when they began to preach about this resurrected Christ that could change and save a heart. You remember what happened? The people were amazed, the Bible says. The people were amazed. It's it's very much a part of the conversation of the different languages, but but the word amazed, it goes way beyond that. This existemi in the Greek, It, it, it doesn't mean a curious amazed, like a, well, that's a trick, do it again. It's It's so much more. It means they were ecstatic, that they were actually out of their minds where they had been, like a maze where you're lost. They became amazed. Where they had been, they were now changed. The gospel of Jesus amazed them. It changed who they were. You know, we, 
we often hold this treasure, as, as Corinthians refers to it, as this power of God. We have it. And then we fail to realize the value of what we have. We're like the farmer. Edmore, Michigan. Some of you know exactly where that's at. It's right next to our academy, Great Lakes Adventist Academy. News broke this. Maybe you saw it pop on the news. News broke. Mount Pleasant, Michigan, there in Ed, right next to Edmore. In the 1930s, a, a farmer found a strangely heavy metallic rock on his property. He decided the object would be useful as a doorstop. So then in 1988, now this is 58 years later, he sells his farm and says, hey, just take everything, including the doorstop rock, leaves everything there. The new owner now, years, decades, he bought the farm in 1988, but now decades later, he's had this doorstop sitting there and he's watching this little feature on television about about meteorites. And he sees the picture and he says, whoa, 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 that looks a lot like what's on my, I've been using to keep my door and my barn open. So he picks up, scoops up that 23-pound rock, takes it in, takes it into Central Michigan University. He was informed that the object was in fact a meteorite and could be worth a lot. Chunk of iron and nickel was later valued at over $100,000 after the Smithsonian Institute verified what it was. For decades, for decades, this rock had been a doorstop at a, in a barn, and it valued at 100000 Now, just the mere fact that most of your faces were unexpressive, just totally flatline on that, means you're in a totally different class economically than I am. But a $100,000 doorstop, beloved, wherever you come from is not where I come from. We don't roll like that. A $100,000 doorstop. Could it be that we hold something that we don't realize its value. Could it be that while we know it's the power of God, we don't know that we know that we know because you can't really know it and not share it. Penn Gillette, the, the magician and atheist, he says, He's an atheist, all right? But he says, listen, listen, let me just be honest with you. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? It doesn't make sense. If we know that we know. A story that has forever lodged itself in my mind. I read it out of Reader's Digest. I think I was sitting on a laundromat one day doing my clothes. Pick up a Reader's Digest reading this story. I'd never been to Michigan, but the story happened in Michigan at the time I read this. Later, I moved to Berrien Springs and and had the privilege of passing the exact spot hundreds of times probably where the story happened. The story of Bill, he's a part-time paramedic, but he, he he drives the tour buses from Detroit to Chicago down around the bottom of Lake Michigan back 
He's headed from Detroit down on Interstate 94, headed down past Berrien Springs, but just a little north now. He's still, and I come, I come across the, the CB, the radio, comes a cry for help. We need, we need somebody, somebody that knows first aid or CPR. We need anybody, a doctor, nurse, paramedic, somebody. Is somebody out there? We've got a car accident. Bill checks his watch and realizes he's already a couple minutes behind schedule, so he doesn't want to pull the bus over with his load of passengers expecting to get to Chicago on time. He said, can't do it, can't do it, I'm just going to go by. But then he gets within about a mile of the accident and the call comes out again. <laughs> Is there anybody out there? So Bill, at just the last minute, says, I can't let this go. And so as he sees the, the stopped cars in the highway ahead of him, he pulls the bus over to the shoulder and stops it, lets the passengers know that he'll be right back, that there's just an emergency here. And he jumps off the bus, runs up to the, to the scene. Standing on the shoulder now, he's looking down the embankment where the car had rolled. A man coming up the embankment, as Bill identifies himself, I'm a, I'm a paramedic. The man says, thanks for stopping. I don't think we need you. I can't find any pulse. Bill looks down. The car is overturned in the muddy, dirty ditch. He sees the arm of the victim sticking out from underneath the car. Bill says, fair enough. I'll head back to the bus. As he turns around, though, another motorist is now stopped and standing behind him. She says, I I recognize the car. I recognize the car. That's Melissa. She gave her last name. Bill. Bill took a second to just absorb what she just said. And then almost involuntarily, he shouted, I need help. That's my sister. Now he's running down the bank. Yelling at people, get down here, get down here. We can't just write. That's my sister. So with help, they rolled the car over. Bill pulled his sister out the car without a pulse. She had been pressed down into that muddy ditch water. Bill with the help of a few others, pulls her up to the shoulder of the road and begins his first aid in CPR. He saved her. He saved her. That's my sister. And as I consider the quandary of where we find ourselves, is it that we don't realize what we have? Do we not realize that this gospel is eternal life to the dying and hopeless? Even the Mary Robinsons at the United Nations, presidents of countries, are saying we have a short time left We need help. Do we not realize that we have the answer? 
Or on the other hand, is it possible that we don't realize who these people are? Do we not realize our brothers and sisters? I have two sisters. They live in the state of Oregon. They've walked away from God. And I plead, God, would you send, would you send their neighbor? Would you send one of their coworkers? Would you send somebody into their life? You know how it is with family. You can, you can, you can say a lot, but they don't hear a lot. But God, would you send somebody to be in their lives, please? Somebody they'll listen to, somebody that can reach them, a friend. Would you send somebody? You know what God said to me? I'll do it. But just so you know, somebody in Oregon is praying for their sister in Colorado, and she lives right next to you. Now go be the answer to their prayer, and I'll send somebody to be the answer to your prayer. God did it. Beloved, God did it. He hasn't answered the prayer completely yet. My sister's a paramedic, coincidentally. She's working on the ambulance. Got the, the, uh, the department shifts up uh, partners. They ride two to an ambulance, obviously. Shifts up partners, brings in a new guy from California. This new guy from California now is, is assigned to be my sister's partner. They have to spend an entire shift together riding around. They're, they're just talking about everything. This new partner, this guy from California, randomly moves up to Southern Oregon. Seventh-day Adventist. On their Sabbath shifts, his choice, he chose, work on Sabbath. They pull the ambulance into the parking lot of the Seventh-day Adventist church and stand in the back. that, That doesn't, you know how it works. It doesn't flip a switch and answer all the all the prayers. But I know God can do it. But then God's looking at me saying, what about, what about that clerk? What about that neighbor of yours? What about, what about, there's somebody's sister. There's somebody's brother. And you have, you have what even the United Nations can't figure out. You have hope for this planet and hope for their hearts. Oh, let's do this. God will not give up on them. He will go to the nth degree. He will not give up on you. He's not given up on anyone yet. He's going to take this to seek and save the lost. God knows that he knows that he knows he has something. Save for eternity, forever. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He's going to finish it. He's not given up on you, and he hasn't given up on your family. He hasn't given up on your neighbors, but he needs you. He needs you. My father, 
early on in my childhood, got cancer behind his eye. Became part of a study for the government saying, hey, we've got to figure out how to deal with this particular cancer. So they assigned him to a group. If he volunteered to be part of the program, they assigned him to a group that would remove the cancer, to take the tumor out. They wouldn't try to treat it. They would just remove it, surgery. So they took it out, but slowly the cancer had eaten away. He didn't even realize he couldn't see out of his left eye, period. It had been so slow, and his body had adjusted. He had no vision out of his left eye. So they took the eye, gave him a glass eye. That's a whole strange world there. Pop the eye out and put it in a glass. But he does that every once in a while. He, he, he washes it, puts it in a solution. My parents live in southern Oregon, live in an old farmhouse. It's a beautiful, beautiful acreage, but it's an old farmhouse. My father's in the, in the bathroom, rinsing off his eye in the water. The sink, it's an old sink, doesn't have a stopper. Ah, you're jumping ahead, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> He drops the eye, makes one circle around the bottom of the sink, and it's gone. Well, you can't go out in public without that eye. It's just it's this empty socket. So he's, he says, all right, we're going to find the eye. Oh, did it get caught in the trap? No, there's no trap. <laughs> you believe they weren't thinking of that back then. So he's, he then goes under the house and cuts apart the piping all the way under the house. Where is the eye? Where is the eye? And then the pipe goes under the ground out into the yard. There's no eye under the house. Begins to dig up the piping from the house all the way across the yard in sections, in sections, until he gets to the sewer tank. No eye. He whispers a prayer. Please help it to be floating on the top. Opens the lid, and it's not there. He's got to have the eye. Calls the company out with the truck, and they begin to siphon and suck that entire... contents of that tank out. And at the very bottom, there was his eye. Now he really had something to wash, didn't he? (laughs) God's not given up on us. He will chase that prized possession he will go as far and as long to the very bottom of the tank if he needs to because he knows he has the answer. And all he needs, beloved, is men and women on this planet who will take him at his word and know that they know that they know. And with boldness and with confidence, no hindrance, no doubting, move out into the world to share the gospel. How does it happen? How can I know that I know that I know that he's got the answer? How can I know? Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. We'll finish reading the verse we started. This is how it began. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men. They marveled. And then what? They realized that they had been with Jesus. How can it happen? 
How can I know that I know that I know? How can I have the confidence of Peter? How can I have the confidence of Paul? How can I have the know that I know that I know? How can I have it? Go. Go be with Jesus. In the morning when you rise, when you take your lunch break, and before you go to bed at night, what if you call off work? Not because you're sick, but because you want to take a 24-hour retreat with Jesus. You say, no, can, can, can it happen any, uh, any other way? Can it just be kind of a download? I read one of those little devotional scriptures at the top, two paragraphs, a little illustration, and I'm good. No, 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 no. They had been with Jesus. They had not referred to Jesus. They had not glanced at Jesus. They had saturated their lives with Jesus. And that's how birthed within them was this confidence, this know that they knew that they knew that they had the answer to their own hearts and to the world. Acts is not only a history of past events, beloved, but it is a prophecy of future Those looking forward to the second coming will note with care that the characteristics of the early Christian movement are to mark the work of God at the end as well. The book of Acts is a narrative prophecy, not just a record of the past, but it is a prediction of the future. There will be a people like Peter and John and Paul who know that they know that they know John Stott, let me just give you his words. Paul's preaching with boldness and without hindrance symbolized a wide open door through which we in our day are to pass. The acts of the apostles have long ago finished, but the acts of the followers of Jesus will continue until the very end. Come on, GYC. Let's do it again. Let's take up the invitation from Acts. Not as just a narrative of the past, but a prediction of the future, of a story of our lives. God is still writing His story with men and women that will move with confidence and with boldness. The book of Acts ends with the appeal. Will you join us with all boldness? The final verses of this book are an invitation, beloved. So how can we not answer and say, to the end, we will be the final part of the story. Is there one of you? Is there one of you this morning that would say, that's, that's me. I'll stand. I'll stand. I'll stand. Hallelujah. Let's sing together this commitment hymn, Faith of Our Fathers. It's still alive. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.
www.ghostsofthecoast.org.